after the creature fell, we took some time to collect ourselves and James finally shared his story. I will admit, I was surprised to hear he came from a family of well-known weaponsmiths. Looking back, there were some signs of his more noble upbringing that I had brushed off as a general lack of experience. He showed none of the arrogance that the few noble cast-offs I had met displayed, even as they were more or less at the mercy of those who knew how to survive in the woods. Once he finished talking, he fell silent and seemed to be waiting for something. Judgment? Condemnation? Pity? Whatever he expected, he didn't get it. When he prodded me for a response, I thanked him for sharing and asked if he had any other surprises he'd like to share. He didn't. Sam reached over and patted him on the shoulder, commenting how it was nice to have another fae in the group. Later, I would hear the druidess explaining to James that he was what her people called a shepherd, one with the unique ability to commune with creatures in a way that goes beyond what any others could do. That was how he was able to calm the Twisted Ones, as well as a variety of other creatures we came across. There was a difference in the way James held himself after learning the name for his gift. Some of the shame and guilt he had been carrying was washed away by the acceptance of people he viewed as friends, to be replaced with the new determination to make sure what happened to him didn't happen to anyone else. Coincidentally, the fight happened at the crossroads we had been looking for. It took an hour for us to determine which way we needed to travel next, and by then it was beginning to grow dark. So, we left a mark on the road and set up camp in what was left of a building, taking our usual watch cycles in relative silence. We left early the next morning, eating while we walked. We were surprised to see how many buildings had withstood the test of time and delighted to see that the roads had also survived, buried underneath a layer of dirt and plant growth. We periodically stopped to uncover the stone to ensure we were still on the right trail before covering it up as well as we could. Didn't want to make it too easy for anyone to follow us. Distances were unclear on the map, but we estimated it would take a week at most to get there. That didn't account for the weather, though, and as winter began to settle over the forest, our progress slowed and the days shortened. We spent more time collecting wood and increasing our food supplies, drying and preserving as much as we could for when the cold killed what food remained. The cold would come quickly, much more quickly than we expected, and it promised a long, hard winter. The slowdown of travel significantly imposed a new set of dangers. The tent became invaluable, keeping us protected from the elements and blocking out some of the cold. We constructed lean-tos out of whatever we could find to provide extra protection from the wind and snow. The only upside of this is, if we were having difficulty traveling, the armies would too. 
Winter meant the war could not begin in earnest, but that didn't mean no blood would be shed. Assassins would be sent to kill the parents of the ones who killed the other parents' children. Covert attacks done by small groups designed to do a lot of damage. They could not let the deaths go unpunished, you see. And come spring, the bodies would be piled so high that all would be calling for war. It was that thought that spurred us on, through the bitter cold and the smatterings of rain. We couldn't do anything about the fighting, but maybe, just maybe, we could bring an end to the war. Bad weather was annoying, but nothing we hadn't dealt with before. So, we continued on to the land that once held a marketplace. But to keep ourselves distracted from the cold, we took turns imagining what it must have been like before everything. A place full of life. Bustling market full of people from both kingdoms. Buying and selling goods, mingling together with friendly conversations. Knives used for slicing food, and purses instead of throats. There were some marketplaces like that in the neutral zone, but they were kept small in order to not draw any unwanted attention, and everyone was wary of potential infiltrations by military scouts. There was nothing the war did not touch, and so it colored even our imaginings as we tried to picture a world without it much less a world before it. But still, it was a pleasant conversation that kept our minds off the cold. I honestly found myself forgetting the rest of the world as I walked through the sprinkling snow, listening to Sam regale James with yet another tale of childhood hijinks involving stolen fruit or something. I allowed my mind to wander offering corrections and adding in other stories as we went, enjoying the rare sound of the druidess's laughter. It was one of the few occasions where I felt like I saw the person she was before her life fell apart. The person who survived years of isolation with darkness as her only companion. The fact that she still existed and could still laugh meant that maybe, just maybe, she could have a good life after all this was done. It was so nice to see her smile that I was reluctant to bring up the bad news, but the others picked up on it soon after I did. Shh. Quiet down and look. Do you see that? Yeah, I see it. Must be a scouting camp nearby. We should get off the road, find a place to camp for the night. I'll scout ahead, see what we're dealing with. They don't often travel this far in without a purpose. I worry they may be after the same thing we are. I'm not so sure. If we're nearing the marketplace, that means other buildings of importance will be located nearby as well. They could be after any number of strange relics or artifacts that were left behind here. Even if they're looking for the same place, they may not know what we know. But we have no way of knowing what they know without asking them. And regardless of what army they're from, I doubt they'd be inclined to talk to us. 
Well, they probably won't want to talk to you, but I'd bet they'd be willing to talk to a friendly face who comes bearing food and news. I can pretend to get lost or say I was sent to bring news. Whatever makes them the most comfortable to hear. Give me a night, and I'll gather what information I can and see if I can get them going out of our way. But you're Faye. Yes, but that doesn't mean I will look Faye when I talk to them. Trust me, I've done this with many other groups like this before, and they were none the wiser. We need to know what they're doing here if we're going to keep going. And this is the safest way to do that. Much as I didn't want to admit it, Sam was right. Being a changeling meant he had a better disguise than anything we could come up with, and if one of us tried to spy on them, we would likely get caught. Scouts didn't survive this long, this deep within the forest without having very good security. So we left the trail, taking great care to cover our tracks without losing our way to find the road again. And we found a secluded spot to set up camp. Once we were secure, Sam began preparing for his mission. All of his personal items he left with me, along with the promise that he would come back for them. I helped him gather what he would need to sell whatever lie he would have to craft. This was not the first time I found myself saying goodbye to the person I most cared for in this world, not knowing for certain if I would see him again. We had been through quite a lot by then, and it had bonded us. He knew I hated this idea as much as I knew he had to do this, and I knew he would do whatever it took to be sure he returned to me. But we both knew how easily this war could destroy even the best laid plans. So, in the tradition he had started all those years ago, we made our plans for what we would do once this all was over. Because if we had plans in place, then we would see each other again to make those plans a reality. Then I kicked him out of the tent and told him he better come back alive in two days or I'd be coming for him. So, of course, he came back late. You have been listening to Ceasefire, the story of the end of a war that did not end the world. This story was written and produced by Brianna Jean as part of Pseudonym Social a creative podcast network changing reality one story at a time. In this episode, you can hear the voices of Brianna Jean as Vivian, Zadkiel Basky-Huff as Sam, David Telstra as James, Jordan Marie as the Druidess. You can support all of our productions over at patreon.com pseudonymsocial. To get more information on this or any of our other shows, check out our website at pseudonymsocial.com.